Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. It's not about the corner office. It's not about the fancy title. It's not even about the extra money. Responsible leadership is about taking care of those who choose to follow you, and that care takes on many forms. This podcast is dedicated to bringing you the best guests with the best advice to help you succeed in that endeavor. The Responsible Leadership Podcast is a production of The Leadership Phalanx. To find out more about me and what I do, visit leadershipphalanx.com. That's leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X.com. And now, on to today's show. All right, listeners, I'm excited for this episode of the Responsible Leadership Podcast. I've got a great guest, uh, Mr. Ray Arata. Ray, thanks for being with us today. It's a pleasure. I'm really happy to be here, and I'm glad we didn't schedule this podcast any earlier because your listeners want to be able to hear me talk and you talk with the tree chopping that was going on outside. So let's let's have some fun. Oh, yeah. No, this is going to be perfect. Now, listeners, uh, before we get into the conversation here, there's a few things I want you to know about uh, Ray. Uh, Ray is an award-winning diversity, equity, and inclusion leader and speaker, consultant and trainer with global clients from PricewaterhouseCooper to Verizon, Toyota to Bloomberg. He founded the Better Man Conference for the development of healthy masculinity and men as allies and partners. He's been recognized by the UN Women in 2016 as a He for She champion for change and received the Ron Herring 2020 award. His new book, and something that we're going to talk about here is a good chunk of this conversation, is titled Showing Up, How Men Can Become Effective Allies in the Workplace. So, Ray, that is an impressive background, and it just I'm, I'm salivating over here to hear how you answer the first question where I start all of my guests. When you hear the terms responsible leadership, what does that look like to you? You know, it's a, it's funny you're asking that question because uh, I was... I'm writing a blog right now looking at uh, the president and leader of Ukraine as opposed to Vladimir Putin and responsible leadership to me. Um, my answer to that is heart-based leadership. Uh, a, a man or a woman that can lead from the heart. And I can go more into that um, if you'd like. Please do. So. Uh, over the course of my, my, my years, uh, in my own work as a becoming a healthy masculine man, I kept recognizing these principles that for me were tantamount to my own leadership. And there's six of them. And I write about these in my book. And, and one of them is emotional literacy. And for us men, that, and anybody for that matter, that requires, uh, us to be connected to our emotions as opposed to stuffing them to toss out this notion of touchy-feely and to acknowledge that we, just like anybody else, can be mad, sad, glad, have fear, or even have some shame and joy. So that's the first one. The second one is, is vulnerability. And most, most men give vulnerability a bad rap because they think it's a sign of weakness when, in fact, you know, it's a sign of strength, at least in my book. Third authenticity that's about being true to who you are as opposed to being performative or trying to act the way you think you're supposed to be experienced 
Four, accountability. That's a biggie, and that could be a whole podcast episode. Five is inclusivity, making sure you include other people. And the last one is love. And, and the reason why I choose that one is because as a leader, if you're able to see, hear, value, respect, understand another, to me, that's love. And so when a leader, a responsible leader can embody all of those, he or she can't go wrong. Oh, man, I I love everything you just said there. And uh, maybe we won't get to talk about the book so much because uh, there there was a lot just right there. So I want to start with that first one, right? You, you talked about, I like the fact you use emotional literacy because the one thing that I found, you know, a lot of folks were really talking about emotional intelligence, emotional intelligence. Uh, well, I started coming to it and I said, I want to talk to you about emotional ignorance, right? Because a lot has been talked about emotional intelligence. Let's talk about emotional ignorance. And, you know, really had to, you know, the word ignorant puts people off. So I had to explain that just means a lack of knowledge. And I hit him with what I think is a beautiful uh, quote from Neil deGrasse Tyson, where he says, um, as the perimeters of our knowledge expand, or excuse me, as the area of our knowledge expands, so do the perimeters of our ignorance. And and the more we we learn, the more we have to acknowledge that we still don't know. And I come in and I say, you know, I'm a white Southern Baptist Christian male from Northeast Tennessee up here talking to you about leadership, diversity, inclusion, LGBTQ rights, and a little bit, you know, talk a little bit about allyship and why those things are important. But I'm never going to be able to understand what women go through in the workplace, what the LGBTQ community goes through in the workplace. I have to acknowledge that that ignorance to be able to come to a level of understanding, right? Yes. Yeah. So, so the the right back at you with a quote from Andrew Bennett, who says, "The longest journey you'll ever take is the 18 inches from your head to your heart." So yeah. Being literate, being cognizant. Uh, and in touch with your emotions is huge when it comes to leadership because, you know, life circumstances are going to happen and you're going to feel fear and you can freeze. You like many men can react with anger to cover the fear. And that's not how we, you know, want to go through life. And in this current social and political narrative, especially in corporate landscape, there's, there's, a faction of men who are afraid to say or do the wrong thing, so they say or do nothing, which signals complicity. And you know, that's one of it, in my conversations with a lot of uh, DEI folk and thousands of men, I came to realize that there's these there's these five different states of men inside most orgs. One of them is a group that feels threatened by DEI initiatives because it threatens their job. Underscore the word there, which. Most people who are in this space would, would appreciate when I say that's their own examining privilege right there out in front of us. The second group is a group that uh, articulates there's employee resource groups in companies for LGBTQIA, uh, Latin, Black, Blacks, etc. But what about us? That group is convertible because they're they're in the temporary pain of exclusion, and that can be used to convert them to being allies. The biggest group are those ones that are afraid to say or do the wrong thing. And then the groups get smaller. There's the group that want to do th some good things, but they don't know what to do. And then there's that last group, the advocates, who are already acting like that. And so, you know, I'll stop there, but that's just, it's really important that the, and we haven't even gotten to the second principle, why emotional literacy is so important, because we're going to make mistakes. We're going to feel bad about ourselves because we made a mistake. We're going to not know what to do if someone tells us that what we said or did hurt them. So having a relationship to our emotions is huge. Yes. No, again, and, and I love, I love that. And, and going through those, you know, I, I love the fact that you, you got to, to love as part of the authenticity and vulnerability, uh, you know, because that's the one thing that folks are really, really shocked to find out about uh, military leadership. You know, we, we see the, the Hollywood trope of the, the spitting, the screaming and the cussing and all that good stuff. And yes, I always admit that happens, but, but there's a lot of love involved. And, and I tell folks, one of the, one of the first leadership lessons I got in, in the field as a Marine had a salty old gunnery sergeant tell me one time, he says, look, he goes, this, this is what Marine Corps leadership's all about. He says, You've got to be willing to send your folks into battle knowing that they can die 
but you got to love them enough that the thought of doing so rips your heart out. That's right. And, and, and what you just said is key. It's extremely key. So in the context inside the corporate landscape, love shows its, shows its face again around feedback. Can you love somebody enough to give them feedback to help them grow? Or yeah. are you going to hold your tongue for fear of them not liking what they're hearing? And all you're really doing is rescuing yourself and speaking the truth to somebody else. Yeah. No, I love it. But I, I'm also interested to hear, you know, you, you kind of talk a little bit about authenticity and, and vulnerability in there. And, uh, you know, I've got a friend of mine, uh, Dov Barron, who talks about authenticity and vulnerability a lot. And, uh, you know, he, he talks about how he's always kind of shocked when he uses those words and people kind of uh, equate that to what he refers to as, as emotional vomit. Right. You know, just you're you, you're over emotional. You're over this like you take it to the extreme. Uh, when you talk about authenticity and vulnerability, like what do you mean by that? Sure. So I'll take vulnerability first. A vulnerability is is strategic. And when, it, when if you're in my shoes and you're trying to support companies to engage men in their DEI strategy, and many of them are, are faced with the question, how do we unfreeze the middle managers? They call it the frozen middle. Well, there's a simple answer to that, and that is you've got to get senior leaders who are willing to walk the talk. In, and so what I do at my conference or in my trainings or at a fireside chat or an event is I ask for a senior male leader who's willing to get up in front of everybody and be human, tell on himself, admit some mistakes, share some learnings. In other words, you know, instead of putting out this projected notion of your persona, and this is where I'm going to speak with authenticity. Be you. Show people the authentic you. Because in leadership, as you might imagine, and your listeners as well, there's no room for being a performative leader. Because people will see right through the performance. So, you know, why not be you? You know, my one of my good friends, uh, Mike Robbins, wrote a book called Be Yourself, Everyone Else is Taken. So it's this notion of being authentic as well, along with being human and showing vulnerability because as I've learned, and one of my superpowers is my vulnerability, if I go first, I make it possible for other men to do the same. And then we're going to have the behavior change that we're looking for. Yeah, no, that is key. That is key. And I've seen that plenty of times, you know, with uh, uh, my, my friends who are still serving. And, uh, you know, we talk about mental health a lot and, and the veteran suicide epidemic. And there's always a, a, a much different response in a unit. When somebody just sends out an email that says, you know, hey, the chaplain services are available. If you want to book a, a time slot, you know, email this versus when the the leader sends it out and says, hey, these services are available. I'm booked for this time. Uh, I just want to make you aware. But by just saying I've already booked my uh, time with the chaplain or, or whatever resources available, uh, talk about corporate world, you know, they, they bring in uh, some, some employee assistance programs and things like that. But like you said, by going first, by just saying, hey, I've already booked my time, there's a huge increase in the percentage of people that respond and actually book time to seek help. So uh, I love you talking about going first. Yeah, that's um, at some point in time. On myself, I'm, I'm drafting a treatment for uh, a docu series that I want to showcase positive masculinity. All those examples to demonstrate to the world this is what's possible when we throw out the outdated playbook of what it means to be a man. When we bust out of the man box and we step into healthy masculinity, and so my my working title is called "Going First. So I, I want to keep that present and alive. No, I, I love it. Well, let's, yeah, no, I love that. I love that a lot. And, and so let's talk about those terms because we've used them a couple of times. Um, you know, masculinity a lot of times gets kind of a bad rap. We talk about toxic masculinity, but uh, masculinity in and of itself is not necessarily good or bad, is it? No, it's not. And, you know, I I used to, I didn't use it a lot, but I shy away from the term toxic masculinity. Mm -hmm. And I move more towards this notion of healthy masculinity. You know, I understand that it's a binary term. I, and, I, and I know that uh, inside all of us, we have both 
masculine and feminine traits. And I, I have commonly referred to my 22 years of being in this space and doing my own work as a, uh, a journey to my inner feminine on my way to being a whole person. And so when we look in the, when we look at the, the corporate landscape, there's a lot of women who have had to, uh, you know, put down or, or, or not acknowledge their femininity and masculinize in order to work alongside with men. I'm looking forward to the day where they'll bring more of those attributes that are good attributes forward and that men even start uh, connecting to some of their feminine attributes. Like, for example, one of the rules of the man box is real men make all the decisions. And I got to tell you, that can be tiring. And so I'm much more of a collaborator. I'll make the decision if I have to, and I'll take the responsibility. But, but you know, I, I just wrote a blog called Celebrating uh, Women Activating Men as Allies, a True Recipe for Gender Partnership. And I wrote in the blog that, you know, when I partnered with these women, and I, and I decentered myself and I allowed their strengths to come forward. I felt relieved, lower stress, supported. And I'm like, Oh my God, what was running me in the past was this outdated notion that men are supposed to make all the decisions. So it actually benefited me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, it should. And, and again, I'm a big fan of cognitive diversity myself and, and all the benefits that that brings and, and, you know, just, it, yeah, when, when you look at the the science behind it, the 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 math behind cognitive diversity says it's all good. It, it comes to better outcomes uh, for complex decisions. So you're, you're shooting yourself in the foot by thinking the men have to make all the decisions. You're missing out on on much better outcomes by including more uh, more cognitive uh, pushback, more cognitive angles uh, to the problem. So uh, I, I really like that angle as well. Um, the, the other word that, that we've used here a couple of times, and I'm, I'm really kind of curious uh, to hear how you define it, uh, is privilege. So when you use the word privilege, what does that mean to you? Uh, simply put, advantage. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a set of advantages that other people don't. So when I uh, seek to educate uh, individuals, um, I also distinguish that there is a distinction between earned and unearned privilege. And I've had rooms of men where some men would say, I'm not privileged, you know. I, I grew up in a trailer park or I had this or that and I and I listened to them and I acknowledge the what they had to do to earn where they are. But then when we when we shift to um, what we as white cisgendered men don't have to go through simply by virtue of our color. And some of these men are able to hear what it's like for somebody of color, for example, to walk into a room at a company uh, of all white people and look around who can, who's safe, who can identify with, what do I, how do I, they begin to understand that um, they have these, these rights that were bestowed upon them simply because of an accident of birth. So one of the things I really try to do with privilege is to humanize it as opposed to demonize it and take, and I recognize that it can be a triggering word, but I seek to educate people through that. And once people recognize that privilege is an advantage, then there's a moment where they as human beings can make a conscious decision. I have something that somebody else doesn't. How do I want to use it? Do I want to use it for good? And underneath that is the question, how do you want to be experienced by other people? And then it's up to them. Yeah. No, again, I, I love that, you know, and because and, I was that person, right? I mean, again, I said I grew up in Northeast Tennessee. I grew up in the Appalachian Mountains, small town, Irwin, um, on the Appalachian Trail. I was that person. I grew up in a in a trailer, uh, didn't have money. It was on free lunch programs. And when I started hearing people talk about uh, white privilege, that was my response was, I didn't have any privilege. What are you talking about? But it was it was coming to that realization that while yes i may not have had financial privilege or any of that you know i did have access to to certain things just because of looking like everybody else in positions of power what anything i asked for uh and and, and i love what you just said there cuz that's exactly what it it took for me to realize was it's not anything i asked for it's not bad 
it's it's a tool. How do I want to use it? And that's exactly the question I came to. And I, I love hearing you say that there because I love when when smart people <laughs> have, have kind of affirmed where I come uh, to a realization on my own. So so thank you for that. Um, yeah, the, the other thing I would say very quickly is one of the things I want to impress upon your listeners and everybody else is having privilege doesn't mean anything's wrong with you. Because I've, I've had several conversations lately where white men in particular have uh, self-vilified. And I'm like, there's no need to do that. Own the fact that you're white. Own the fact that you have these privileges. Appreciate that you have these privileges. Now that you've done all that, what do you want to do with it? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I like that. It 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 um it reminded me so Dave Ramsey, um the the money guy, he he was once talking about money. Yeah. So he 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 defined it and he said, you know, they they get the Bible quote wrong all the time. It's not money is the root of all evil, money is at the root of all evil. He said, if you're a, a jerk without money, you're just going to be a bigger jerk with money. Uh, if you're a kind-hearted person without money, you're going to be a, just a bigger, kinder-hearted person with money. And I see it's kind of the same thing with, with you know, privilege, right? If you are a really kind person without it, you're going to be a really kind, uh, a much kinder person once you realize that you have it. Uh, it it's a it, magnifier. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um now, one of the ways that we can use that is is kind of what we talk about uh, in your book here is being an ally in the workplace. So we've kind of defined a lot of these words already for folks, but let's let's add one more definition to the list. When you talk about being an ally, what does that mean? Well, it depends on a, a person's core um, unique abilities. You know, for me, being an ally is being a supporter of somebody else. Um, it, it's, it's being an equalizer, um, acknowledging that an, another person that doesn't have the same advantages as you um, may need your support for their voice and their perspective or their experience to be vocalized. It might mean speaking on their behalf when nobody's there. It might mean mentoring or sponsoring them. You know, and that's just what that's just when it comes to most of the isms, like sexism, for example. But one of the terms that I'm um, working on and feeling into myself is this notion of being an accomplice or an advocate, which is more action oriented. So most companies right now, you know, they've got a, an amazing mix of people, and you know, people, especially in light of COVID. Uh, and Black Lives Matter movement be more supportive to those historically marginalized groups. So this notion of an ally gets people to start thinking. And so I've created uh, what's called the four steps of the allies journey to help people understand and appreciate and step into actually being an ally. So part of being an ally means that you acknowledge that you have bias and privilege that your emotions play a role. And if you're a man, that there's this thing called the man box that has historically driven men's behavior and language. That's just the awareness piece, Earl. The second step is listen with empathy and compassion. And what that means is an ally makes it a point to get interested in understanding the lived experiences of other people that are different than him or her. So what that does is it grows empathy roots, which for men and others, it can be used as fuel to move into action. The third part of being an ally is all about taking responsibility for your bias and your unexamined privilege and how that lands on other people. And that has to do with intention versus impact. So if I said or did something that offended one of your listeners and they were able to call in right now, if I answered saying, I didn't mean that, I would just make the situation worse because once again, I'd be centering myself and I would not be acknowledging their experience. And for, for your leaders, your leaders may hear about microaggressions that occur to other people on their watch per se. So that begs the question, as a leader, as a responsible leader, um, what does it look like? How do you handle that? Well, you might need to call in somebody as opposed to calling them out and said, hey, are you open to some feedback? I noticed that um, when you said this, there was a reaction in the room, and I've learned that uh, when we say stuff like this, this is how it lands. Are you open, you know, to you know, cleaning things up? And then the fourth step is committing to 
at new actions and behaviors or advocacy, if you will. So to me, that's a protracted, you know, long-winded, albeit formulaic um, demonstration of what it means to be an ally. Yeah, no, I, I like that. And if, if you don't mind, uh, I'd like to kind of uh, step through those uh, kind of piece by piece here a little bit. And because, uh, again, listeners, uh, a lot of what we're going to talk about here uh, is going to show up in, in Ray's book, Showing Up, How Men Can Become Effective Allies in the Workplace. And I really do believe that this is a book that you all need to go out and get a copy of uh, and add to your bookshelf because there's a lot of great knowledge in here to help you. Uh, help you come to grips with some of these things on your own and, and be an ally. Um, and, and that's kind of where we have to start is that acknowledging your stuff. And again, one of the things I really loved about going through this is um, the, the 11 shields of the phalanx that I talk about, which are derived from the DOD's 11 leadership principles, uh, this know your stuff, um, you know, it, it really it falls in line with uh, what we call know yourself and seek self-improvement or what I call introspection and improvement and building relationships and looking out for your people. Um, but for you, like when, when you say know your stuff, like what are some of the questions people should be asking themselves to get to know their stuff? So uh, it really depends on the category. But if we just look at bias as an example, a lot of companies have brought in unconscious bias trainings. And all those really do is help people understand that, you know, from prior experiences in life that you may be tilted one way or the other to see, to see and, uh, to see the world a certain way, to see experiences a certain way. And if you're not conscious, you'll apply your past experience on a current situation, you know, whether it has to do with, uh, sexism, racism, or any of the other isms. I tend to go a little bit deeper, and in my book, I invite uh, the reader to actually take a moment and think about. And I don't name it this in the book. It's a it, what I call a family of origin bias, or put another way, you know, if you think about it, because you know, goofy me, I think about this stuff all the time. Um, for men or women, most of their first experience with a man was a father figure and the, mo the first experience with a woman was a mother figure and so i developed what's called the five fatherly influences and i i get men and women to think about how did your father emote was did he was he a one-trick pony just showing anger how did your father treat and interact with your mother was there equality there or was there a, a hierarchical difference how did your father act masculine or not and if and if and how did he relate to you so all of these questions depending on a person's growing up whether it was father or stepfather or uncle or grandfather form a bias and when these um young people grow up and walk into the workplace if they haven't done their work for example i my mother was a very strong masculine type woman who basically scared the crap out of me when i was little and so i was always attracted to um strong women but at the same time i gave my power away and until i did my men's work until i did a men's weekend i was totally unaware that this dynamic was going on so imagine if men are in the workplace and they haven't taken a look at any of these things that there's a pretty good chance that how they saw their father interact with women is how they're going to interact with men, women, or they rejected it and they're doing something different. So ju that's just bias, right? Mm -hmm. And so the question I would I would invite people to think about are privileges. Can you name the privileges you have? Can you list them? Do you understand the difference between unearned and earned privilege? And maybe after you've done that, now that you're aware that you have these advantages, what are you willing to do with them, right? Yeah. Moving on to emotions, I would say, you know, how how emotionally literate are you? You know, are you able to experience sadness, fear, healthy anger? Do you understand the difference between toxic and healthy shame? After all, we are human. And, you know, if I make a mistake, I might feel bad for a little bit and that I did do something that I could have done better at. But it doesn't mean I'm a bad person. That's toxic shame. Yep. Uh, and then uh, last but not least. 
uh, the man box. How aware are you of what was handed down from you from father to son, which society perpetuates, that says what it means to be a man? Are you at the affect of those rules that don't work for most people, including men? Again, or I could keep going, but I'm doing my best to answer your questions by giving you the questions that I invite your listeners to, to ask themselves. Yeah, no, this is great stuff. Don't don't worry about it at all. I'm 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 soaking it in and and uh, nodding my head north and south here quite a bit because you know especially what you just said. Uh, you know, uh, I was raised by my grandfather, World War II veteran, and uh, you know I'm sitting here listening. and I'm like, yeah, you know, um, he he was you know every bit the kind of uh, stereotypical kind of masculine family provider and all that good stuff. Um, until he, I mean, I, I, he did, uh, I'll, I'll share this quick story here. He did heating and air conditioning work and I would work with him during the summers, you know, and I saw this guy have a drill slip and he ran this drill bit through the meaty part of his hand and he just doesn't flinch. He just backs it out, wraps it up and keeps going. Tough guy until he's around my grandmother. And she was, you always joke that she was like his kryptonite because he turned to putty in her hands, right? That was the, the light of his life and all that good stuff. And, you know, like you said, that that's kind of me right now. I'm I'm kind of a, a tough, grouchy kind of person unless I'm around my wife, and my wife is my kryptonite. So when you said that, I'm like, yep, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um But but again, I, I love those asking those questions because I agree with you about DNI programs, having set in on a few myself, that kind of surface level, oh, everybody's got biases. Sure, but you know, it's it's you gotta do something with that knowledge, right? And, and I always tell folks, you got to ask why, you know, why did I notice this thing about that person? Does it matter? Why did I pick up on that? And, and I really wish, you know, everybody says, I wish this was taught in high school, but I really wish that there were some high school courses taught on, on priming and framing and the impact that those have on us on a daily basis. And, and I think understanding priming and framing would go a long way in helping us uh, come to grips with some of these biases and why they exist. Um, but uh, your step two, and I, again, I love this. Listen, really. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> you, you mentioned that empathetic listening, right? And, and you know, having done some, some training on communication, I always the way I define uh, communication is it's about what is heard, not what is said. Um and, and I think people forget that, right? Like you said, if somebody tells me, hey, you just did this, I say, well, no, that's not what I said. It doesn't matter. That's what they heard, right? You need to listen to that and try to figure out where where the mix-up was. You really have to listen and be able to communicate, right? Yeah, so I'll, I'll go one step further. While what you said is, is accurate, what I'm trying to get any everybody, not just men, is to distinguish the distinction between listening from the head versus listening from the heart. Listening from the head really isn't listening. It's, it's, if you've ever been in a meeting or you're talking to somebody and you're waiting for them to finish talking so you can talk, that's not listening from the heart. That's just, that's just trying to have a conversation. And if someone's saying something and you're, taking an opposite position or you're trying to win or trying to lose or you're defending something that's all listening from the head listening from the heart requires that we slow down get present to this other human being that's talking to us get present to what's going on for us and come from a place of curiosity get interested in the other person's experience so on this path of being an ally and an inclusionary leader it's tantamount for our leadership and for our allyship that we listen from the heart. So this second step sets us up uh, for for the if and when, when we either need to give feedback or someone's going to tell us that we messed up. And, you know, I can change the vernacular and say, if you mess up, fess up, clean it up, and get up and keep going, right? That, that'll solve a lot of problems. <laughs> Yeah. Well, again, going back to something you said earlier, you know, uh, one of the first piece of advice our, our senior drill instructor in boot camp gave us was the only bad mistake is one you make twice. Um, and, and, and I, I love that. Um, but, but you know, you're right. And again, it goes back to that emotional literacy piece because, uh, you know, 
listening at the level that you're talking about there, it requires more than just the words that are being transmitted. You got to be able to kind of uh, you know, know who that person is. Maybe you're having a discussion about religious preferences or whatever. Know what theirs are, but be able to pick up on the body language and, and the facial gestures. They're going to tell you as much or more than the words coming out of their mouth, right? Yeah, absolutely. So once you've done all that, step three is take responsibility. So what are you taking responsibility for? It depends. Uh, so, so, for anybody, not just men, but for any of your leaders who are on this journey to being a better ally and a better leader, especially amidst the current social and political narrative, whether it's conversations at home or in the workplace, you might just say something, to use your word, from a place of ignorance, not intending for it to land negatively, but nonetheless, or you maybe have did something that landed negatively. And when it's brought to your attention that what you said or did hurt somebody else, or you're not intervening, for example, negatively affected somebody, when they bring that to your attention and they have the courage and the guts to share that, for you to A, listen, really, <laughs> and then say, hey, I can see that what I said or didn't say, did or didn't do, landed on you and it scared you or it made you angry or sad. I can see that I had something to do with that. I'm sorry. And you take that one step further and say, I'm going to go get some support so that um, I misstep a little less. So that's if you as an individual have had a misstep. Now, if you're a leader... And you're trying to have a you know, diverse team and say a woman or a person of color comes up to you and shares with you or you're in a meeting and you see some language or behavior that it appears that it's coming from a place of ignorance or unconsciousness. Well, you have a, what I call ownership driven responsibility to do what you need to do to create a safe space, including but not limited to intervening and maybe calling in that person and giving them feedback so you can slowly create a safer place for every, because at the end of the day, you want your team and those people that work for you to feel like they can bring their, their full selves and their full contribution to work as opposed to spending a bunch of energy covering and being at the affect of a bunch of ignorant or unconscious uh, microaggressions. Yeah. No, that one, you, you just, you know, triggered a, a, another memory for me there because, uh, you know, growing up in the South, we say y'all and folks and all that. And, and I remember getting into an English class and, you know, had to give a speech and, uh, you know, I greeted the audiences, uh, you know, folks and I got berated. It's like, well, this is a formal environment. You need to use ladies and gentlemen. And so it got kind of beat in my head. You know, whenever I would address an audience, ladies and gentlemen. So one of the first DNI talks I ever gave, I'm going there and, and I'm just, I'm rocking through it, right? I'm just like, I've nailed this. And I was using ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, the, the whole thing. And we get to the Q&A session and this uh, uh, individual gets up and you know, raises their hand and call on them. So, you know, this is a diversity and inclusion class, but, uh, you know, I felt kind of excluded through the whole thing. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry. Tell me more. Why, why did you feel excluded? You kept using, you know, he, her, him, she, uh, ladies and gentlemen. You know, I'm non-binary. Uh, I, I didn't identify with any of that. I never felt like you were talking to me. And, you know, fast forward, goodness, 15, 20 years after that. And now, you know, folks is the thing to use now or everybody or whatever. So you're you're not... You know, but I had to take some action based off of what that person told me because they were right. You know, they were right. What's interesting in hearing that story and thanks for telling that, I, because of that, now I use folks and sometimes I say y'all and I'm not even from, I'm not even from, uh, from the South. So that's, that's interesting. Yeah, no, it was, it, it's, it's one of those things that's always kind of got me. It's like, you know, I had it right the whole time. You should just leave me alone. Um, <laughs> so step four, the allies, uh, step four of the allies journey is think, talk and act like an ally. So we've come this far. 
what are some things that that allies should do? What 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 do you, what do you mean when you say think, talk, and act like an ally? Well, so if if we if we look back at these steps and we make the assumption that uh, people have done this and they continue to learn, they're going to come back into the workplace. They're going to come back into life, and all these scenarios are going to present themselves for a myriad of difference. So if they th- are thinking like an ally, meaning they're thinking beyond themselves, they're, they're thinking about the experiences and struggles of others. They're thinking about their privileges. They're thinking about their biases. They're aware of their emotions. They're aware of the man box. And all of, they've shown light on all of that. Obviously, their language like can change. So talking like an ally, I can't tell you how many times I've heard uh, uh, men that have either read the book or attended a training or gone to the Better Man conference where they were on a call, or a woman might share this, where the leader started off and said, hey, guys, and then they caught themselves and said, wow, I was just in a training, and I'm sorry, I want to clean that up and say hello, everyone. And that little, that's a, that's thinking and talking and acting like an ally. That sends a message to to the men that, hey, um, this is what it can look like. It sends a message to everybody else. This guy's working on it. Maybe it's a little bit more safe, and I feel a little bit more included. That's just in meetings. Now, what about when there's going to be a meeting, and history uh, would have us assume that women are supposed to set up the room, bring the coffee, and take notes and do all that stuff? Well, all there's all these behavior change opportunities. Or if you're in sales, they used to go to the golf course or go to a sporting event. Well, what if someone's not into golf or what if they're not into sport? Are you aware of that? And are you doing what you can to create a level playing field? Right? So I can go into a lot more detail in terms of the, the examples, but those are just a few of those are the most common ones. And then we can talk about, you know, bigger, broader strokes. Yeah, no, I, I definitely want to get into that. And I just, you know, again, you're, you're saying a lot of good stuff that's triggering a lot of great memories for me. But, you know, it's like th- what you just said, those are those things that like humans crave that identification piece. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure how much traveling abroad you've done. I think you've done quite a bit with, you know, your human work and whatnot. But, um, you know, I always tell folks who, who are going abroad, it's like if you just learn a little bit of the language where you're going, uh, like I took German uh, in high school and my German teacher, she said, look, she goes, if you don't remember any other phrase and I don't uh, from German class, uh, but ich bin Ausländer and spreche nicht gut Deutsch. So if you're in Germany and you say that, you're going to because you tried, they're going to know that you're not from here and your German's not good, but at least you tried. And, and nine times out of 10, they're going to open up. And that's really what people are looking for is somebody to, to just try, right? I was in Europe for two and a half months last fall. I rented an apartment in Luca, Italy, and we were in Spain for a couple of weeks. And I'll be back in the Dolomites uh, this June after the Better Man Conference in New York. Love it. So Love I, it. I speak Italian. I speak a little bit of Spanish. So yeah, I, I learned that lesson a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, no, but it's it's amazing, right? And, and it's it's what people are looking for, like, you know, when they say, hey, look, you know, I'm non-binary. You know, it's it's not some big political statement that they're trying to make. It's who they are just by 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 the majority of the time saying they or them. If you mess up and use he or her, there's some grace there, right? But if you just outright refuse to see them for who they are, you got a whole different ball game, right? What makes it very real is when uh, somebody you know has a kid in transition. I've got a good friend of mine who's the CEO of a company, avid cyclist, and his son's pronoun is they, and the mm-hmm. kid's in transition. And I have a, another well-known author friend of mine whose who's, uh, daughter at birth is going through transition, and it's, she's changed her pronouns today. Yeah. So that's very real. Very real. Yeah, 100%. A hundred percent. So, um, 
we're coming up on, on time here a little bit and we talk about some of these broad strokes things, uh, but also kind of want you to touch on uh, the, the last chapter of the book, which is the multi-year game plan. So if you can tie those two things together, uh, let's hit on those real quick. Yeah, so the multi-year game plan um, is a chapter I wrote specifically for leaders, DEI leaders, who are at that place where they're they're recognizing that the, the this perfect storm of Time's Up, Me Too, COVID, Black Lives Matter movement have put the light, uh, shine the light on the majority men, and they recognize now that men must be a part of DEI strategies, so which puts them in the question. How do I engage men? What do I do? So the multi-year game plan uh, lists a plethora of opportunities uh, ranging from uh, senior leadership being involved in going through a training to attending a conference to uh, creating a series of events because it's a, this is about learning over a sustained number of events to doing trainings to coaching to whatever the case may be. Uh, so that companies recognize that that this is there's a path for them to 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 walk through and to and to shift their culture with men included, and so it's very early in the game. There's few companies out there that have done most of them, and some that have done some, and so um, that's usually the roadmap that I, when I talk to companies that you know let's talk about you know where we can start and how you can incorporate this into your not just your DEI strategy, but your leadership strategy. Yes. Yeah. No, and I'm glad that you uh, you tackled that because, you know, I always say it's going to sound self-serving, but this isn't a one and done thing, right? You can't just have uh, somebody like me, somebody like Ray, somebody like there's a lot of great people out there in the space. You can't just have us come in once, check a box, and then never talk to us again and never have these conversations again. It, it's got to be not one and done. Right. Yeah. It's got to be who your company becomes. It's got to be part of the fabric, the DNA. I don't even want to use culture. It's got to be part of the DNA of your organization. Um, So I love that. I love that. Well, Ray, look, this has been a fantastic conversation. I can't believe we're already sitting at 45 minutes here. Uh, Before we close out, is there anything that we didn't get a chance to, to touch on that you want to leave listeners with? You know, I've noticed in the last six or seven months, a lot of women of of color uh, and women have reached out to me to be a supportive ally because despite their internal efforts to speak to the largely white cisgendered male leadership teams, they're, they're in need of me coming in to meet those men where they are and to have candid conversations with them so that they can open up their listening and and step into some form of commitment to support these folks. So I just, I, I, I share that with your listeners because it, it's, it's, it's what's going on out there. And, and, you know, the other thing I would say is that this movement is a, a movement whose time has come and I recognize that it's not something I can, I can do by myself. So which makes me fly right in the face of, the man, one of the man box rules is real men don't need help. I do need help in this movement. So if your listeners are, are, are game, um, reach out to me. Um, come to the Better Man Conference. If you go to bettermanconference.com and sign up for our newsletter, we will uh, we'll keep you informed. And if you want the book, which is a great place to start, and you go to showinguppbook.com, and you order the book, we've arranged it that you get a bonus, which is a virtual ticket to the Better Man Conference, either in June uh, or in November. Uh, and if you want to have me come speak or coach, go to rayarata.com. So those are the ways that your your listeners can get a hold of me. And that would be a way for them to answer my request for support. Yeah, no, thank you very much uh, for that. Um, I'll make sure that those links get into the the show notes there. But uh, before we before we do go, uh, speak about the the Better Man Conference real quick. Like like, what is the purpose? What can people expect uh, by by attending the conference? Yeah, so so the Better Man Conference uh, I created in 2016, and it's 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 evolved. It's a one day event where companies and individuals can come and gather. To, to be inspired to think and feel differently and learn some of the concepts around 
uh, that we're bringing forward in, in the context of healthy masculinity. And, and what happens often is companies either send a delegation of folks to attend and or they sponsor and or they participate in the narrative and have somebody speak. And so um, the conference is a great way to, to get into the game, per se. Now, this year's themes that we're tackling are power, patriarchy, and privilege, the three big P's, if you will. And so um, we'll be, and it'll have like a workshop feel. I open, I open the conference, set some context, and then we do a, uh, a can opener exercise to kind of get everybody uh, loose and connected to what we're going to be doing. And this year, we're going to have Jennifer Brown from Jennifer Brown Consulting, Elfie Martinez, a guy by the name of Dax Devlon Ross, who wrote a book called Letters to My White Male Friends, and, and Mark Green, who wrote the Little Me Too book. And so we're going to have a powerhouse speaker slash facilitator team, and I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, no, that sounds awesome. That, that sounds really awesome. I'll, I'll definitely be looking into it uh, myself. And listeners, I highly encourage you to do that as well. Uh, Ray, brother, this has been a fantastic conversation. I'm really glad that we were able to have it. And, uh, you know, the, the, the trees got cut down and, and left us alone and the songbirds kicked in there a little bit, which gave us a nice little backdrop. But man, I just want to say thank you very much for writing a book, for doing the work that you do, for setting up the conference. And most importantly, thank you very much for being a guest on the Responsible Leadership Podcast and having this discussion with me and my listeners. I appreciate it very much. I appreciate the opportunity to come here today and keep the message going. Thanks so much. Well, all right, folks, there you have it. Another great show about responsible leadership. I really appreciate you listening. And if you have any feedback for me, please reach out at earl at leadershipphalanx.com. That's E-A-R-L at leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X.com. Thank you for rating, reviewing, subscribing, and sharing the show so these messages can spread further and make a bigger impact. With that, I look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode. Ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Rafelson. We're the founders of Electricast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join Electricast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to Electricast.com and join our community today. Electricast. Transform your influence. Electric acid. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Pack podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed. Electric acid.